UMass Hockey has just swept the number five team in the country and took five out of six Hockey East points while doing it. This series had it all, and this is about to be a real fun recap episode. So let's go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 99 of High Character. What a weekend that was. UMass played number five Providence, fifth best team in the country, and they swept them. One in regulation on Thursday on the road, really impressive win, and then a miraculous comeback to win it in overtime on Saturday night at Mullins. Get five Hockey East points on the weekend against the team that was in first place. Uh, an absolutely fantastic time and a real fun team to watch right now. My name is Cameron, and as always, I'm joined by my good pal, Evan. Evan, how you feeling, man? Ooh, man. Episode 99, feeling great. We call this one, what, we're going to call it the, the Gretzky episode at this point? Like, that'd be pretty freaking cool. This is the Gretzky series for us, honestly. Seriously, yeah. But, I mean, the way we were playing was awesome. I'm feeling great. You know what I mean? Like, to get to get five points out of six right there. I mean, if you were to ask me before the series what was I expecting, I would have been happy with with three points. You know what I mean? Whether if that's, you know, you take both games to OT, whatever, you know. But after we got that win on Thursday, I figured we were just playing with house money. You know what I mean? Like, we'll see what happens because Providence had a really, really good reputation about them, you know, basically going into the series. And the fact we were able to pull out two huge wins got me feeling, you know, amazing right now. You know, I mean, I've, I've settled down a little bit from my absolutely insane state of mind from last night. You know, I was going absolutely ballistic. I, I pissed off a couple of uh, older Providence fans that were sitting in front of us. I think they were telling me to be quiet. And I was like, Hey, scoreboard. And I gave them a little, quick little shush emoji. You know what I mean? Like I was having a fun time, but yeah, really, really feeling good and can't wait to get into this episode. I think it's going to be a really fun one to talk about. Yeah. Let's, let's jump right into these games. Cause these were some fun ones to talk about. Um, game one Thursday night in Providence, a little bit weird. We never usually see a Thursday, Saturday series, but, uh, it made it a little tough to get down there. We both went to this game, uh, battled the traffic, and got there before puck drop, which was good. And was not, not a, uh, a whole lot of lineup shakeups for UMass. Michael Rabble looking to bounce back after a pretty tough outing that he got yanked in against Vermont. That was the only real notable um, lineup thing. And uh, not as notable when it happened, but ends up being pretty notable at the end of this game. Little shakeup on the last offensive line. Christian Sanda and Cam O'Neill both get in next to uh, Lucas Vanderboy. So, pretty similar lineup to what we've seen throughout the season so far. But good to see Harabel again. And obviously, with how this series panned out, he had a nice bounce back. Yeah, no, Harabel was absolutely monumental in the series. But yeah, I feel like the the interesting. You know, I don't want to really downplay you know the difference of that fourth line because as we'll get into, pretty big contribution out of that fourth line um, at one point in this game, but. I've kind of noticed overall, just kind of with our overall lineups that we've tend to throw out there, you know, in various games, a lot of like, you know, barring maybe like one or two games so far this season, I feel like the the top three lines have maintained relative consistency, maybe not so much with like, you know, specific, you know, line combinations, but just the overall personnel, you know what I mean? Like you, you might be swapping across different lines if you're in that top three, but you're, you're basically just going to be staying in that top three. But in this case, we kind of have a, a rotating door of a fourth line. I feel like, you know, we've had, you know, Bo Cosman, I think he started up the season there for a little bit early on. 
Sando, O'Neal, you know, but then you also got guys like Nick Van Tassel that have been rotating in and out. Like there's there's a lot of different guys that kind of make up the numbers onto that fourth line. I feel like Lucas Vanderboys has kind of been that mainstay. And I feel like within good reason, he's been a very, very important part of our team identity so far this season. Really gritty, mean, nasty human, you know what I mean? But obviously one of the nicest guys ever off the ice, as, as we'll probably get into later on. He was he was a great guy at the post-game skate. But uh, yeah, no, really, you know, I feel like it, it was kind of interesting. I feel like Sanda and O'Neill have been together a little bit so far over the course of the season. So there's kind of pairings going on. And that was the pairing that we threw out on this night, probably just due to, you know, how we how we lost that game against Vermont in the previous weekend. Had to shake things up a little bit, get some new blood in the lineup. Yeah, and uh, the game didn't start out too hot for UMass, given that get little change. Uh, Providence really attacked in this first period. I think they ended up with 18 shots in the period, which is almost unheard of for a team in one period. So they were really getting a lot of good opportunities and a lot of shots off on Rabble. And didn't take long for them to score. About eight and a half minutes into the game, pretty nice zone entry for Providence. They get it down low, go low to high. And Luke Chris is the, the one that ends up putting it in. He takes a wrister from about the blue line area. Um, at first glance, I thought Michael Rabble has got to have this one, but then I took a look again and he was uh, screened right in front of him by three guys. So really had no shot on it. And uh, Providence probably deserved a goal at this point with how, how heavy they were making those yeah. chances. Dude, we were getting worked that whole first period. I mean, you know, like you said, the shots are what you said, 18 to seven or something yep. like that. I mean, it, that was, that's a pretty fair summarization of how that period went. I mean, they were all over us, you know. Rabble was doing his best. You know, I wouldn't say that a lot of the chances were like inherently like, you know, massive danger chances per se, but they were just getting a large volume of shots. And like, we weren't doing very well with our sticks to kind of block the puck or block passing lanes or anything like that. They were kind of just getting as much zone pressure as they wanted. You know, we they were wearing us down. They were, they were, they were playing their style of hockey. You know, we were kind of being the ones that were being, kind of molded to fit their will, if that makes any sense. Like we weren't really imposing our will in any real stretch of the imagination. So it kind of feels like one of these was going to go in eventually. You know, that was just kind of the run of play overall. I want to say we had a couple of chances in this period. You know, maybe I think Vanderboys might've had one chance on the doorstep at one point and, you know, Svedback was, was there to meet it basically every time. So, you know, going into, you know, basically going down one, nothing, I feel like was going to be pretty apparent with the way that we played, but yeah, it just yeah you can't you can't pin that one on Rabble really like you said three guys in front of the net it's a tough look overall I feel like the the more concerning part was just kind of the turnover that kind of led to that it seemed like we couldn't really string passes together we couldn't really get any sort of clean zone entries we weren't really able to dominate possession at all and that's kind of the name of Providence's game we saw that all weekend you know across both games so you know being able for them to transition from their own zone into our zone with relative ease and not a lot of resistance that was kind of, you know, what led to this goal in my opinion and really was unfortunate. Yeah. And it was, it was fortunate that UMass was only able to keep it at one at the end of this period. Uh, we mentioned those shot totals, pretty crazy. Uh, and they were able to escape the first one, nothing. They moved to the second and the second was almost a polar opposite of the first UMass getting a lot of really good chances. They led the shots, I believe 12 to four in this period. So um, getting a lot of shots off. And it paid off about halfway through the period. We see that fourth line that I mentioned right at the top. We see Christian Sanda skate in kind of towards the corner in a real nifty pass. He just kind of spins, puts it right in the tape of Cam O'Neill. 
Uh, he doesn't get the best shot off, but he gets it on goal, um, scores a little greasy one out in front, and gets his first ever college goal. So congrats to Cam O'Neill uh, and a big one, too, to tie it up on the road. Yeah, quick little round of applause for Cam O'Neill. Very, very cool stuff. Very happy to see that happen because, I mean, he's had some games where he's played very well, and he's had some games where he hasn't been the best, you know what I mean? But I feel like this game, that fourth line was really, really solid, I feel like. You know, they were probably – you know, the main energy line, they were kind of the big spark that we needed to eventually come back in this game. Um, let's be honest, wasn't the sexiest goal of all time. I don't think Cam O'Neill would think that either. You know, a quick little tip in front. I think it ends up going off of his, like, right leg or something like that off the rebound. Not the prettiest goal of all time, but, hey, they all count. You know, he's probably, you know, he's going to be thinking back on that one saying, wow, what a weird one to score. But in, in, the, in, the, in the, the grand scheme of things, it was a very important goal for the context of this game. So, Really, really great to see. And the only thing I want to add to that that I don't think we discussed yet, I want to say it was either at the end of the first period or the beginning of the second, there was a too many men call on, mm -hmm. on, on I believe it was UMass at the time. Um, the only reason why I, want to, why I want to highlight that is because it's going to become a bit of a common theme throughout the, throughout the rest of the series. Um, I don't think there was any more too many men calls in this game, but there were plenty more in the second game. So it was kind of some interesting foreshadowing to see kind of how this group of referees was going to, you know, continue to ref the rest of the series. I just thought that was an interesting thing to bring up. It was, yeah, and we'll definitely talk about that a little more later on. But, uh, yeah, UMass able to tie it at one. And just a few minutes later, we mentioned that fourth line being pretty solid. They had a, a not-so-solid look here with about five minutes left in the period. Lucas Vanderboys, just a really tough turnover along the sideboards. Can't really sugarcoat it. Um, Providence is able to get a pretty easy cross-crease pass, and the guy's – all the, like completely open in front of Rabel for the goal. Chase Yoder, he takes the lead for Providence, two to one. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you live by the fourth line, you die by the fourth line. You know what I mean? Like they gave us some life early on, you know, to to get us back into this. And then, I mean, what can I say? I mean, Vanderboys, I mean, I feel like is kind of a self-proclaimed, not not a very you know skill guy. You know, he's definitely there to be to be great. You know, he's there to be a big power forward, be a heavy hitter. He he misplays the puck. As simple as that. You know what I mean? And Providence is going to be the type of team to make you pay for that thing, you know, that that sort of thing the majority of the time. The reason why I don't say all the time is because I think something similar to this happened in the second game and Frabble was there to meet it. You know, this was kind of the one time that Frabble kind of gets caught out in no man's land, you know, basically a breakaway in the own, in, in his own zone like that. He's, he's caught moving laterally, you know, left to right, and then he has to go back right to left because there's no defenseman to cut off the angle. Tucks it backhand, easy as you like. It sucks to see, you know what I mean? Considering that we were starting to play a bit better over the course of this period, I feel like we we were starting to get some chances. We were starting to limit them a little bit more. I'm pretty sure Providence only had like four shots in this period. I think the second period is when we really started to lock things down defensively. I'm actually going back to check the box score right now. Um, yeah, they only had four shots in this period. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that, that right there tells you, you know, we were really starting to lock things down and the momentum was starting to shift into our favor. Shots in this period were 12 to four in favor of UMass. That's a, that's a big swing right there when it was 18 to seven in the previous period. So the fact that this kind of happened was a bit against the run of play, but I feel like overall, you know, the, the feeling on the bench and the feeling of everybody, you know, things were starting to turn in our favor. And I thought if we can continue this into the third period, good things are going to happen for sure. Yeah. You mess had a lot of momentum right before that goal. It was snuffed a little bit on that, on that goal by Providence and Providence is able to take the two, one lead into the locker room. Can we come out for the third UMass really turned it into another gear. They played phenomenal in this third period. 
they had uh, eight shots to Providence's one in this period, only allowing one one shot, only allowing five shots in the last two periods. So really solid defensive effort there. And that momentum paid off. About seven minutes into the third, UMass is on the power play. Captain Ryan Upko, he's got the puck near the blue line. He risks one in through a lot of traffic. It's kind of hard to tell if this one get, got tipped on the way through, but it went in and UMass ties it at two. Yeah, I don't think it ended up getting tipped or I don't think it went off any bodies. I think the only person that ended up going off of was uh, Svedback. I think it went off the left post and then managed to trickle in behind Svedback, basically. It went like off of his back or his pad or something. I think off of the right post and it eventually kind of trickled in. Makar was there on the doorstep anyway, so you know he was kind of able to figure it out. You know, we we were definitely going to knock the puck in one way or another. I think it was just a matter of if it would have been Ufko or Makar. So absolutely huge goal right there to tie it up. I mean, Ufko was massive as a whole on the whole weekend. You know, he was playing very, very well, both defensively and offensively. He ends up getting himself another goal in the second game as well. So, I mean, two-goal weekend for Ufko, and it all started right here. That's absolutely huge. You know, there, there's no way around that. And, again, like you said, Cam, the momentum – totally swinging in UMass's favor. You know, we were really, really buzzing at this point in the game. They were, uh, we were talking about on the way out a little bit. This is almost shades of uh, UMass in the 2021 Frozen Four, that overtime period where you they just had the puck the whole time. Yeah, seriously. Um, put, putting a lot of pressure on now, not allowing anything in terms of quality chances. And it ends up paying off yet again. Less than a minute left in this game. UMass breaks out on a four-on-one. You almost never see that. But some some great job by uh, Mercury along the sideboards to take the puck away, get the four on one. It ends up on Lautenbach's stick, who uh, he probably was the intended guy to take the shot here on the cross crease. Kind of fumbled it a little bit, but he was able to recover, get a really nice pass back to Mercury, and Mercury puts it home to give UMass the lead and ends up being the game winning goal. So really, really clutch there out of Mercury and awesome, awesome win for UMass. Yeah, I think the important thing here, and I mean, not to detract from the goal at all, you know what I mean? But I think the really important thing here that you won't see on any sort of replay or any sort of tweet that came out about this goal was the kind of the overall just turnover that occurred in our own defensive zone. Like, we were able to take that puck. You know, we, we stripped the guy of the puck. We managed to get it up the ice quickly. And we basically knew at that point there's a minute left. You know, the, the awareness of the team to basically just say, hey, if we get enough bodies forward and we have everybody going forward, we could get a four-on-one here. You know, I like to see that sort of aggressiveness because this was kind of a game where, you know, if you looked at that first period, we weren't getting many chances. You know, they were a very, very pesky team defensively. They were really good at getting, you know, sticks in the passing lanes and the shooting lanes. They weren't going to give up a whole lot. So whatever chances that we were able to create, we, we had to make the most of. And this was a perfect example of that. I think that's a really, really good just awareness, you know, both by the players and the coaching staff to kind of keep everybody on their toes and be able to recognize situations where the team can make a real difference in, in clutch moments like this. So, you know, Loudy a little, you know, left a little bit to be desired on the past, you know, received there. I realistically, Michael Cameron's in a perfect spot. He's screening the tendy right out in front of the net. If he, if, if Loudenback just gets a shot on net, that's, an, that's probably the easiest goal he'll ever score. You know what I mean? But he wasn't able to corral it, but great vision to, to shove it back into the crease, you know, just into that, you know, low slot area and a beautiful tap in by Mercs. You know what I mean? He's been the quintessential power forward, I feel like, for us this season, whether it's down low along the boards, whether it's out in front of the net, whether it's, you know, tips, you know, physical play, whatever you want to name, he's basically provided it this season. And this is just another perfect example of that. He, you know, was a really, really big part of how good this team has been so far this season. And, yeah, 
unbelievable clutch moment from him again to end this game. We were going absolutely ballistic in the stands after this one went in. It just it felt so good. Yeah, I think we uh, we definitely can't downplay this game. This was a monumental win, in my opinion. Um, kind of the epitome of new mass as at the yeah. end of the second into the third period. Just a fantastic gritty showing from this team. Even stuff that doesn't show up on the the score sheet, like we saw Lucas Mercury fully himself draw a tripping penalty that yep. led to. I'm not sure if that one is the one that led to the um, the Ufco goal on the power play. They had two tripping calls in the third, but he single handedly drew that penalty. Um, just with his his size and his strength on the puck, like it was moments like that, and UMass just looked absolutely phenomenal. It's interesting to see that team, and I know we've talked about it off air a little bit that inability to kind of string those together. It kind of happens here and there where this team just looks like they could be a national champion from yeah. period to period, and then other periods it's a little tougher tougher of a look. But this was about as as good I've seen this team this season. Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to play like, you know, downer or devil's advocate here because I want to keep this to be, you know, the most positive episode. You know, five points on this weekend is absolutely massive. But the only thing that comes to my mind is I want to see this desperation more often mm -hmm. because I feel like when we play like a very hungry and desperate team, you you can't play against us. It's as simple as that. You know, we we genuinely look like the best team in the country when we want to. And I don't know if it's a case of, you know, I don't think it's a case of us not wanting to, you know what I mean? We've talked to some of these guys. We know the type of high character individuals that are on this team that Carby brings in day in and day out. You know, we, we know who we have on our team, but just there needs to be a bit more, I feel like urgency at times, like granted the urgency does show up and it does lead to, you know, to wins at the end of the day. You know, we've seen two absolutely clutch performances just this weekend alone. We saw an absolute, domination of Michigan in the third period of that 6-2 win that or 6-3 win that we got against them. You know what I mean? Like we have had some absolutely amazing performances in the third period that have just led to, you know, awesome wins that have you know affected both just public perception of UMass and our pairwise rankings. You know, there's there's no doubting that, but I just feel like, you know, I want to see whole game domination from this team a little bit more often you know it always seems like whenever we talk about a game like this and you know we say oh amazing come from behind victory i don't want us to be behind i don't want us to talk about a team we say yeah we got you know we got outshot 18 to 7 in the first period but we managed to pull it out i want to see us have three strong periods of hockey game in and game out where we just we have that mentality where we're just going to go out there every period and just completely destroy teams but I'm not going to detract away from this win. I just want to say, you know, going forward, I just, I want to see more, you know, full game efforts like this. Cause I feel like if we play like this for a full 60 minutes, we're beating every team in the nation, 10, nothing. You know what I mean? I, I genuinely think that that's not even an exaggeration in my eyes because we, we absolutely dismantled Providence this weekend in certain, you know, times of the game. And so, yeah. yeah, I think there definitely is something to be said there. Um, I want to, I think I want to table this little conversation because I think this second game also really plays into it. Yeah. For the, the point that you're making. So um, sure. af after we re recap the second game, definitely get back into that with uh, some examples from the second one. But yeah, good win. Um, UMass has a day off in between to kind of rest up before the home game at Mullins. Another 
weird start. It was a four o'clock game. Never see those. Yeah, that's um, really weird. I personally liked it. Got home a little bit earlier. I think the consensus from everybody that was at the game yep. was that they liked it. So yep. maybe do a couple more of those in the future. But um, not after the win the uh, two nights before. Not many lineup changes at all. The only one was Owen Murray. Uh, he took a real nasty hit on Thursday mm-hmm. night. Really should have been a major penalty called uh, on the Providence player. But um, we heard that he knocked up his shoulder a little bit. He sat out this game, but it shouldn't be too serious. So hopefully we see him out there next week against Harvard. And Michael Rabel getting the start again after a, a really fine performance in Providence. Deserved. For sure. Yeah. I mean, hoping for the best out of, out of Owen Murray. That was a real nasty spill. You know, they called it a hooking, I think, uh, on the on the actual play. I I didn't see that at all. It looked like he got pushed from behind directly into the boards. I mean, that's just my kind of overall perception of the play. I don't know. I, I don't like that style of refereeing at all. I mean, it's good to know for the future. If you really want to injure somebody on the other team, you can just wrap your arms around them gently and then push them into the boards. And I guess you're allowed that to, to for that to not be a five minute boarding call, but I don't know. I think I think that's a little bit insane. I I still think there should have been more on that play because I'm not going to say it was an inherently malicious, but you can't do stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, whether it's a push or a hook, and the guy ends up going into the boards, the end product is still the same. It's just the methods of getting there. You know what I mean? So I understand you probably can't call a five minute major on a hook just because you know how are you going to write that in the rule book, but I don't know. You see somebody going to the boards like that off of a off of a penalty. That's something else needs to happen there. I don't know. It just seemed a bit awkward to me. Yeah, it definitely did in real time. I haven't been able to find a replay of that, but me uh, neither. Yeah, so that's a call you you'd want to have. Um, UMass had a, a major penalty in this game too. We'll uh, yeah, we'll get to that when we do. But start of this game, Providence came out with a pretty good game plan. Um, I think I believe they led the first period in shots 14 to seven. So another first period where they really get a lot of shots off on Rabble. No scoring in this period at all, but it, Providence looked really good and a nice, nice bounce back for them so far against UMass who beat them on Thursday. Yeah. And that just kind of, you know, it, it plays into the point that I just made like three minutes ago. You know what I mean? I feel like, again, it was just another slow start to this game, you know, especially knowing how we came out in that third period and we just absolutely owned Providence. I was wondering where that fire was again. You know, we just started off a little flat, and it wasn't even like that was just a, a problem unique to this weekend. I feel like we've seen that throughout multiple parts of, of our season so far. So, you know, I'm not going to harp on it too much, but I do hope that that's something that we're going to, you know, clean up on as the season goes on because Carvey will always talk about how he wants the team to get better over the course of the season. I think that's something that that we could certainly improve on over the course of the season. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so no score moving into the second period. And, uh about halfway through, we see Providence. They were kind of laying on the chances. UMass really having a problem finding the puck and kind of retaining possession of the puck in the offensive zone. Providence gets a zone entry that doesn't look to be too crazy. Um, a really nice pass from the sideboards to the middle of uh, Graham Gamash coming in. Makes it a two-on-one. He puts one five-hole on Michael Harabal. I, I bet you one that Harabal would want to have back, um, but he was pretty close in. Nobody in front of him, so... Uh, Providence finally wears him down and gets that first goal of the game. Yeah, I mean, realistically, I think, you know, it's not the worst goal of all time to give up. You know what I mean? It's not like anything that we saw, you know, last weekend, you know, against Vermont. It was nothing crazy like that. But yeah, I mean, if you're going to have a, you know, a six foot seven goalie to shoot on who's really, really big when he's standing up, you might want to try and shoot five hole because it's going to take him a little bit of extra time to, to break down that five hole. So 
I don't know. I mean, it was a decent shot. It was a it was a decent setup to you know even get in alone on that play. You know, we didn't really have any defensemen around him. I think it was McDermott who was trying to cut out the pass across. You know, he wasn't going to play the shooter there. You usually leave that up to the goalie. Parable gets beat. You know, it is what it is. I feel like you know he was still playing very very well up to this point. He played really well. You know, two nights prior to this, so you know he's not going to be perfect. Kid's eighteen. He's he's still figuring it out. You know what I mean? He's going to have moments like that. You know, I feel like even if you had Paul Brady there, that's probably going to be a goal against too. So, you know, it's it's a tough look overall, you know, just for the overall team. But, yeah, it sucks, but it is what it is. Yeah, and Providence honestly deserved a goal at this point in the game, and, and they yeah. finally got it. Some interesting refereeing in this game. I think <laughs> yeah. this, this might be the part where we bring it up. Um, up until that point in the game, about halfway through the second, there had been three too many men on the ice penalties called. Uh, not just against one team. Two of them were on UMass. One of them was against Providence. That made it four on the weekend. So a really uh, too many men, happy ref there. You, you never see that. Maybe we see it a couple times every season. So interesting there. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more later. And yeah. another thing, near the end of the second period, Idar Suniev, um, I guess for lack of a better term, this is a freshman penalty that he commits up. A yeah. pretty obvious knee-on-knee hit. Pretty dirty. Um, I don't think there was any malicious intent behind it at all. But nine times out of ten, the refs are going to call this, take a look at it, and call this a, a five-minute penalty. Um, he gets the five-minute penalty in the game misconduct, so he gets ejected from this game. And uh, Michael Cameron went down in this game also. So for the yeah. better part of the the second half, UMass is playing with just ten um, offensive skaters. So uh, pretty tough penalty to take. And especially at the end of the second, it means you start the the second and the third penalty period now with penalties. So pretty undisciplined right there from Sunia. Didn't didn't love it. Yeah, we had a couple of different like players leaving the ice situations, especially towards the end of that second period. Like you know, Sunia got dismissed basically off of you know the hit that you just described. There was a freak accident at center ice. I think with a couple mm. minutes to spare. That you know, I'm not going to go into too much detail because it's a little bit graphic, admittedly, but. I think it was Lucas Mercury was trying to avoid a player who was like on the ice. He tried to like, I think it was like jump over him or something just to like get around him. The the Providence player, I think it was Yaroslav. I'm going to screw up his last name because it's Czech. I think Hamelar or something. There's a C in there. I don't know if it's silent. Forgive me. I apologize to the to the Czech community. I believe but, number 28 on, on Providence. Yeah, it was 28. But yeah, Ch- Chamelar, yeah, he's, he's one of their top players right now. But um, essentially... Apparently, Merck's skate caught his wrist, you know, caught caught Yaroslav's wrist. Um, he, you know, he recognized it immediately. There was a bit of a blood stain on the ice afterwards. He he ripped off his his glove, essentially. Training staff immediately went to him. They got him, tur- you know, basically, I think it was like tourniqueted up, essentially, because, you know, you got to basically stop the bleeding under any circumstance. Very happy that it wasn't anything more than that. You know, there was a bit of a delay going into the third period because I think he ended up going to the hospital. You know, they had to bring in a new ambulance and stuff, so there's a bit of a delay there. But as far as we can tell, I mean, we haven't heard, like, any sort of official update on, you know, Twitter or anything, like, from Providence. But everything's kind of pointing in the direction that it seems like he's okay. So that's good. Um, Very happy to hear that, you know, he's okay because that was a bit of a scary moment. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think everybody noticed it immediately, but I think once the delay started to kick in and the second intermission, people were like, hey, what's going on here? I thought it was a little bit weird. I mean, me and you both talked about it at length a little bit. Mullins didn't even bother to like say anything like there was no announcement saying like, hey, you know, due to, you know, an injury that's being addressed right now, you know, we're going to take a quick delay or nothing. Everybody was just kind of sitting there. 
on the bright side, there was some guy in the student section who was taking off his shirt the whole time and everybody was going crazy for it. So that provided a bit of entertainment. It was a weird game, man. There was a lot of weird stuff going on. We had a, we had like a Palestine chant at one point. Like it oh was my just, gosh, yeah. everything was just popping off in this game. Like if you want to talk about the definition of a weird game, like 4 p.m. start time, free Palestine chance, dude taking off his shirt the whole time throughout the second intermission, guy getting his wrist cut. You name it, this game had it. Like, and I'm not saying for better or for worse. You know, it was just a weird game. You know, like a lot of stuff was popping off in this game. But as you'll see, we end up coming out on top at the end of it. So I can't really complain. You know, we're we're feeling pretty good. Yeah, I forgot to mention it earlier. In the first period, there was a pretty, pretty large and well-organized Palestine protest in the student section. Only lasted for a few minutes, but pretty notable. I'm sure you could see it happen on TV. So um, interesting there. And just to kind of take you through the timeline of this end of the second. So um, UMass gets the major penalty. In the first minute of that major penalty kill, the injury happens to the Providence player. So um, prayers to him. It, it sounds like he's going to be okay, which is great yeah. to hear. Uh, that looked really scary on the ice. So that happened while play was going. Play didn't stop. Um, he was able to skate off under his own power, and play kept going. So UMass is able to kill it till the end of the second period. The the delay ended up being like 15 or 20 minutes yeah. at the start of the third period. So a good 30, 35, 40 minutes sitting, um, waiting for that third period and the second half of the major penalty to start. And credit to UMass through all of it. They're able to kill off the five-minute yeah. penalty. Um, big credit to Michael Harabel as well, but some really solid penalty killing and um, absolutely, obviously with the final score, instrumental in keeping them in this game. 100%. I want to say it was at one point of the third period. I want to say it was during the major penalty kill. Um, you might want to correct me if I'm wrong, Cam, but I think it was it was Ryan Ufko. I think he ended up saving a goal against with an amazing shot block. Mm -hmm. Like he, you know, basically went, went full sponge mode, you know what I mean, was standing right in front of the shot and he he basically caught all of it. You know what I mean? Like it was a really good cross ice pass to might even been Keefuke. I'll be honest. I don't remember exactly who it was, but there was just, you know, all the net to shoot at because Travel wasn't able to get over in time. And a really, really good good block there from Ufco to to get the to get the job done and make sure that we didn't get scored on there. So, you know, potential game saving block right there. I mean, that was absolutely huge. Um but yeah, no, penalty kill was absolutely huge at the end of the day. Yeah, it really was. And uh didn't it didn't lead to momentum. Um UMass still had a real hard time getting the puck and getting some solid possessions throughout almost the entirety of this third period. They're able to hold strong. Harabble made some superhuman saves in this third period just to keep this game at one goal. And that effort from Harabble pays off. UMass finally gets a little bit of possession. Lucas Vanderboy skates the puck to the top near the blue line, and he puts a, a brilliant pass on the skate on the stick of Jack Musa. If it went through, it would have went wide, but Musa put it, able to put a nice little tip on it, put it top shelf, make it one one. And Mullins was going absolutely wild after this one. Dude, you know you know what the funniest part of of this whole thing was to me it was the fact that I think it was Ufko and Musa were on the uh, they they were doing like a press conference after the game. Uh, shout out to to Kirk Pita for for telling me about this actually earlier today before we started recording. He told me to watch the watch the press conference and you see Ufko like I think one of them fielded a question basically about like you know what what led to that goal and you know like how was the team feeling after that goal 
And I'm pretty sure Ufko has said something like, oh, it wasn't even that nice of a goal. You know, like it was just kind of like a weird little tip on net. You know, I wouldn't really call it that much of a skill goal. It was more gritty. And you just see Jack Music just look over at him and just like kind of scoff. He's like, are you out of your mind, dude? Like, <laughs> I'll be honest, this was a nuts tip. You know, like really, really skillful. Supremely soft hands there from Musa to just even direct that on net. Like very, very well done. Manages to get away from Svedback, but you know, not to even detract away from this goal, but I feel like this goal wouldn't have even happened if it wasn't for Rabble. Like, we got stripped of the puck cleanly in our own zone twice, which basically led to, you know, a 2 on 0 chance for Providence with none of our guys even around the puck because we got stripped so cleanly. And Rabble was able to make unbelievable saves just to keep us in it. Like, I'm not even trying to say that you brushed over it, Cam, but, like, I genuinely feel like what you said didn't even do it justice because if those saves didn't happen – we'd be down two goals right now. And, you know, the, the trajectory of the game could have been completely different. So I just didn't even want to brush over that. I thought that was probably the moment of the game for me where the, was, was that saved by Harabble because without that, I mean, we would have been dead to rights. We would have been down 2 nothing. I have no idea what was going to happen at that point. So, yeah, really, really well done. But, yeah, Musa with a great tip to, to get this one all, all knotted up at one here. Really, really great play. Yeah, and uh, it it honestly seemed like a flip switch for UMass. After this goal, uh, obviously Mullins was buzzing, and the guys on the ice, it just looked like a different team. Uh, three In the last three minutes here, the third period, skating really hard and getting some, some more quality chances. They aren't able to take the lead before overtime starts, but really quickly into overtime, we see Ryan Ufko cycling in the zone with the puck. He takes it past all three Providence skaters, Kind of does a nice little backhand to forehand move to go around Shvedback. Um, then does his own Bobby Orr interpretation diving through the air after the goal. Really, really pretty goal. And Mullins was going absolutely insane, just completely pulling a victory out of the jaws of defeat. You messed it in this one. And uh, just an unbelievable, like, seven or eight minutes turn of events here since that uh, that goal in the third. I'll say, Ryan Ufko's a freaking beauty, man. Like he, Like, he was so shifty you know, in the offensive zone here. Like, you couldn't take the puck off him even if you wanted to. He kind of looked like Scott Morrow to me, just, like, with his overall, like, you know, body position to kind of shield the puck away from other people. I feel like that's something that Scotty does really, really well. And clearly Ryan took a couple pages out of the playbook there because he looked just like him, was able to just glide right into the neutral zone, basically off of a nice little pick play by, uh, I think it was Makar there. You know, big body, you know, speed guy who's going to be able to get in the right position. I wouldn't really call it interference because he didn't make contact with him. He kind of just forced him to kind of, you know, shift over a little bit. And that gave Ufko just enough room to, you know, slide it in. Did his best little Bobby Orr impression there. Like a nice little mm -hmm. glide right across the crease, half at home, and then just dive over the goaltender. Like it was almost an identical, you know, goal to the Bobby Orr one that everybody knows so well. So really, really great cap off for this game for sure. I mean, like I said, we didn't really, you know, play amazingly in the first two periods of this one. But like you said, Grabbed it from the jaws of defeat. You know, granted, we couldn't get it in regulation, so we didn't get all six points. But by God, man, I'll take five if that's how we're going to get it. You know what I mean? Like that that right there, really, really good cap off to the weekend for sure. And, yeah, Ufko really had himself a hell of a weekend, I would say. You know, I don't, I don't want to dismiss that at all. He played very, very well this weekend. He tied up the game in the first one, and then he wins it in OT in this one and potentially had a game-saving block, you know, at, at you know, basically in the beginning of the third. Mm -hmm. He was absolutely huge in, in this entire series. Yeah, and real obviously real happy to get this outcome. If I'm being 
totally honest, I don't think UMass deserved to win this game. I don't think they no. deserve to get a point in this game. They end up with two and the win on the record, which is really great to see. And I think this is kind of where I want to pick up that conversation from earlier. Yeah. Because the first the first 57 minutes of this game, yeah. UMass could not get anything going in terms of really solid chances. Providence just stuffing them every every which way possible, um, not allowing much possession at all. UMass did not end up with many shots in this game. I'm trying to find the the total. They had uh they had 16 shots the entire game. Um, that's not going to usually get it done. Nope. And the team that we saw after they were able to tie it up, totally different. It seems like yep. seems like this team kind of needs a little kick in the butt to get going. But when they do, they're maybe the best in the nation. Um, once that flip is switched, just really interesting dynamic that we've seen so far this year. Yeah, I don't know what the hell this team needs, man. I don't because, like you said, it's it's literally the definition of a switch flip. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, the moment that we go down in a game, it seems like, you know, we're able to kind of, like, it's a little bit of a kick. You know what I mean? Because we're like, all right, like, we're down a goal. But sometimes it's not enough. But then we kind of just, you know, we have to keep chipping away at it, and something just needs to break through. It always seems like with this team, once we get the first one, it kind of starts an avalanche. You know what I mean? Like we genuinely will just keep pounding it after that point. Like once we get that little spark that we need, you know, we get that one to get back into it. I feel like when, when we get that little bit of a spark, genuinely not a team, there's, there's not a single team that can beat us, you know? And like, we've seen that, like, and to touch on the point that you made originally, like, yeah, I don't think we deserve to win this game either. You know what I mean? Like if we look at it from a holistic perspective, you know, with 50, you know, like you said, what was it, 57 minutes of the game? Mm-hmm. We couldn't get anything strung together. And I don't want to say, I mean, we had a little bit of a conversation before we started recording on this, but, like, I, I I understand that, like, it wasn't necessarily UMass playing bad, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, and that you were kind of the one to bring me on to this point, is, like, Providence just looked really, really freaking good. You know, they are a very, very well-coached team defensively. They know how to stop shots from coming in. I think we talked about that in the preview episode. Like they played against Northeastern. They they limited them to what four or five, you know, even strength shots the entire mm-hmm. game. That's that's friggin' insane, dude. You know, like they are extremely good at suppressing shots. And I feel like this was one of those games where that was the case. But again, we found a way, you know, and I'm not expecting us to, you know, absolutely just manhandle every team every single time for the rest of eternity. You know, there's going to be times where we're going to be, you know, not at our best and the other team might be playing at their best. The pendulum's going to swing the other way. You know, if we didn't deserve to win this game, I feel like we, we deserve to win that game against BU that went to, that went to, you know, the shootout. Like we were absolutely insane in that game and we didn't get, what we deserved, you know, in this game, we got maybe what we deserved in another game. You know what I mean? Like everything kind of equalized out over the course of the season so far where like, I feel like we have as many wins as we should, but maybe not against the correct opponents, if that makes mm-hmm. any sense, but I'll, I'll take them as they come either way. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't necessarily, but Carvey's quote after this game is a good kind of add on to this conversation. Fair. He said, our goal, our goaltender stole one tonight. We weren't very good tonight. You could just sense on the bench there wasn't the energy that was there on Thursday night, but our goaltender kept us in it. We were outshot and outchanced pretty badly. Discipline-wise, we had to kill too many penalties, but this is a good group of kids. We talked about it after the second period, digging deep into our character of the team, the heart and soul of the team, and find a way, and the kids found a way. It was just an elite play by an elite player in overtime to score the goal, but that's Michael Harabel's victory tonight. So 
Carvey kind of echoing us, uh, kind of interesting to hear him say there wasn't the energy on the bench. I guess maybe you could say that is slightly concerning, saying uh, that the team doesn't always have that energy that it takes to, to dominate games. But um, I think you said it right. Michael Rabble really stole this game tonight. And, uh, yeah, good to get it uh, in a game that you didn't necessarily deserve to win. Those those do seem that even out as the season goes along. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, the end of that Carvey quote right there when he says, you know, this was kind of Rabble's game, you know, that he really won it for us, I think is a perfect segue into our awards section if you feel like we can move on to that at this point. It is, yeah. And if, uh, if you hadn't caught on by now, the first award, CCC, Carvel's character and compete, basically our player of the series, it's Michael Rabble. I mean, he was absolutely incredible, gave up three goals total against the number five ranked Providence team who had a really good offense coming into this game. And this is coming off of a really poor start against Vermont, the first poor start of his college career where he actually got yanked. So it was it was interesting to see how he would bounce back from that. And he bounced back as well as anybody really could um, against a really solid opponent, made some unbelievable saves to keep the team in it, um, stole game two basically by himself. And yeah, I, I don't think there's a more deserving CCC award that we'll ever give out than Michael Crabble. No, 100%. I mean, in, in you know, the game at Mullins, 33 shots faced, 32 saves. That right there is absolutely nuts. You know what I mean? Considering the quality of chances that he was up against, you know, basically, you know, a couple of times during the game, he's being absolutely dead to rights. You know what I mean? And he had to be the guy to stand up and make the big save at the end of the day. And he did it. You know, he was absolutely huge. For some reason, the box score of the first game decided to close itself on me. So I don't have the exact numbers for his uh, amount of saves. Let me just double check it real quick. I'm going to try and stall for time here. And I now have it up as soon as my internet loads. Looks like you had 21 saves on. There on we go. Day. Yeah. So that's, yeah. So we had 21 saves off 23 shots, slightly above 900. You know what I mean? That, that right there wasn't a statistically amazing game. But luckily in that game, I feel like we had kind of the offense to back him up a little bit. We were able to give him the goal support. He kept us in it enough. You know, he made. I'd say basically all the saves that he was supposed to, you know, the first one, he was absolutely screened to hell. You know what I mean? It was a, it was a tough, you know, tough shot to even try and save. It made its way through traffic. And then the second one was off of a tough turnover. You know what I mean? That, that type of goal against would have went in in the second game because we had a couple more chances that were basically just like that off turnovers, but he was able to make the save that time. So, you know, he came up absolutely huge. His statistics were off the charts. If I'm trying to go off, you know, rough calculations in my head, he probably had like a 930 save percentage on the weekend and like a 1.5 goals against average. That's Those are some stellar numbers, especially for an 18-year-old freshman goalie. That's absolutely nuts on a weekend against, like you said, Cam, the number fifth, you know, the number five ranked team in the nation. That's absolutely huge for a result. So the only other person I would like to give a quick shout out to would be Ufko. I mean, we were absolutely, you know, singing his praises throughout the entire episode. I think, you know, you could even potentially give this as a 1A, 1B scenario. Hey, you know? I as soon as you were done talking, I was going to say I've never done this in the history of high yeah. character, but it is episode 99. I kind of want to throw an audible and also give a co-CCC to Ufco. I, I was we're on the exact same wavelength. We, we, we didn't even rehearse that, so yeah. I am totally down for that. I feel like, yeah, we'll call a quick little audible game time decision. I say we do that. Yes, yeah, Ryan Ufco. Uh, just to finish up on Rabble, absolutely phenomenal. 
Um, and especially good to see after that poor performance last weekend. Yeah, the bounce, the, back. The, the bounce back is a big part of that for sure. Exactly. And then Ryan Ufko, uh, you're right. We have been singing his praises all episode. He has a goal in each game. He has the game winner and on a solo effort in game two, he saved a goal in this game. So this game could have been two nothing um, without him being there. So kind of, yeah, I think we got to give it to both guys. Really has yeah. any performance from Ufko as well. It kind of sucks that it wasn't an episode 100, so we could have gone a whole 100 episodes without doing it, and then we would have done something <laughs> crazy. But, hey, I'll take 99 all the same. It was definitely warranted. Yeah, so uh, congrats to Michael Rabble and Ryan Ufko. Got to chat with both of them in the post-game skate after that game, which was pretty awesome. Some good news. That was a fun one. Um, sure. Well-deserved well awards. The next award that we give out is the Good Try UMass Award, somebody we'd like to see do a little bit better for the next time out there. We were kind of brainstorming this one. No no names really came to mind for us as being blatantly uh, the Good Try Award, but uh, we settled on something interesting. So UMass uh, centers as a whole in the face-off dot this weekend, 40%, um, way below what their average is and what the average has been for that group in the last like eight seasons under Carvel. So um, really interesting stuff. It was every single center – in both games, lost more faceoffs than they won. Every single one in each yeah. game, and then in the second game, three non-centers, three wingers took faceoffs, and they all went one and zero. So the centers all with a sub five hundred faceoff record. The UMass wingers with a three and zero faceoff record this weekend. So this good try is going to the UMass center specifically in the faceoff dot. Yeah, and I mean. Again, another weird award, I feel like, you know, we, we kind of just called the random audible for the CCC and now we're giving, you know, the good try to a group of people here. So we're just throwing out awards left, right and center here, you know, maybe some for not the best reasons and some for some really good reasons. But yeah, face offs have been sucking. You know, the, this, this weekend was not a good look for any any sort of face off takers for sure. And I mean, yeah, 40% is really bad, but the only thing that I feel like we can kind of, you know, hang our hat on a little bit is that this seems to be a bit of an anomaly. You know, normally we are very, very good in the dot. You know, we can, you know, I think, I don't know the exact face-off numbers off the top of my head, but I'm assuming we're in like, you know, the 54% range right now for this season, but I have no numbers to back that up. I know for a fact, I think leading up into this weekend, I want to say Lucas Vanderboys was at like 64%. On the season for for faceoffs, he's been an absolute revelation in the faceoff dot. So, you know, again, a little bit of a blip on the radar in the grand scheme of things. I don't think it's too concerning. But fifty three percent as a team on the year. Right I'll now. take that again, purely yeah. off memory. I mean, I feel like I should be a bit more prepared so I can actually get these things right the first time. But hey, if I get them right off memory, I'll take that too. But um, yeah, like I was saying, you know. I don't think it's going to be a big concern going forward because if I remember correctly, I think Providence is meant to be a pretty solid team in the face-off dot too, you know? So when you have, you know, what, what's, what's the, what's the term, uh, an immovable object versus like an unstoppable force, you know, some things are going to happen. So it is what it is, but yeah, if there was something that we had to nitpick from a, from a five point weekend against number five Providence, I'll, I'll take that to nitpick on for sure. Yeah. We won't harp on it for much longer, but. Interesting outcome, kind of against what UMass has been all about in the last eight years. So definitely. All right, so now we'll move into our custom awards. I'll go first because yours is uh, is pretty funny. Gotcha. But, uh, mine, I'm calling this one the Cardiac Kids. So uh, in both games, coming down to the wire, making you sweat as a UMass fan, and these two guys scored goals right at the end of regulation under pressure. Lucas Mercury and Jack Musa. Mercury is obviously taking the lead at Providence with less than a minute to go. 
Musa tying the game with less than three minutes to go. So uh, fantastic effort out of these two and getting the job done when they had to, when it mattered most in the last couple minutes of these games. So um, love to see that, love to see that third period fight out of this team and two, uh, two really fun celebrations as a fan here. Yeah, man, I wholeheartedly agree. Like, I mean, Mertz and Musa have been probably two of our best forwards this season by far. You know, I mean, let me let me see if I can pull up the actual stats. I want to say they're like, I think, second and fourth or maybe second and third respective, respectively as, uh, you know, just in terms of points on the season. I'm actually pulling that up again, stalling for time as we speak because my internet has been so bad today. But, yeah, I mean, they have, they've come up with some absolutely clutch moments. So, yeah, Jack Musa, second on the team in points with 12. Lucas Mercury could have been either third or fourth, depending on who you ask, because he's tied, tied with – yeah, he tied with Lautenbach with, with 10 on the season. So, I mean, basically two of the, you know, leaders of our team in, in terms of, you know, just overall chance creation and just, you know, overall chances. And, yeah, there's a reason, you know, why these guys are captain clutches because they're just so overall just involved with the offense. You know, I think they both get, you know, major power play time. They both are, you know, basically within our top two lines, you know, basically at every single point so far this season, you know, dominating in the plus minus category, you know, well, maybe not dominating, but, you know, a plus one and a plus two for both of them is absolutely big, you know, and they've, they've just been very, very good players. You know, they, they don't really take too many penalties. So, you know, you're going to be able to be clutch if you're actually on the ice in those clutch time moments, you know what I mean? So yeah, they've, they've definitely been really, really good this season and, I'm really, really hoping to see kind of just more out of them over the course of the season because Mercury, seeing his, you know, just overall progress as a player throughout the past three years so far has been an absolute treat to watch. You know, he's really taken a step up this season. And Musa, we basically had nothing to go off for him up until this point in the season. Kid's point per game right now. He's absolutely lighting it up on fire. Reminds me a lot of John Leonard. And I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, he can have that overall sort of impact and play style throughout the rest of the season because he looks – damn good so far if i do say yeah muses look good and mercury's got a custom award or a ccc from us in almost every single episode this season. seriously he's been showing out funny enough he uh he also got a, a fraction of the good try award and a uh, a custom award this week so um guys guys got a full trophy case of high character awards back home seriously. And, uh so what, what do you got for your custom award all right i'll get into that in a sec but i gotta i gotta lay out the scenario all right this one, this one's basically going to be for all the students that are listening right now. You guys have probably dealt with this at one point or another in your college career. You're, you know, let's 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 set the stage. It's Halloween weekend. You're wearing your best ref uniform. You know, you got you got you and the boys. You coordinated, you know, your your ref uniforms, and you're you're feeling good. You're going to the frats. They, you know, you get to the front door. You know, you got the big, you know, frat bro bouncer guy sitting there in the front. He's like, "Where are the girls? Like, what? Like, where's your ratio, dude?" I'm I'm giving this the bad ratio award. Too many men calls on the ice are just absolutely rampant this weekend. It's it's insane to say, you know, I don't think I would ever be giving out an award to the refs for calling a specific penalty for too much, you know, too often. But yeah, the ratio was absolutely terrible. I mean, there was there was not a not a girl to see it within within a four square mile, you know, area of of the specific game in terms of obviously penalties called in this joking scenario. But yeah, I mean, the too many men calls were insane. I don't know if we missed a memo or something like that. I don't know if, you know, the, you know, the, the coaches were made aware. Clearly Carvey wasn't because I'm pretty sure after one of the um, 
too many men calls and the at the game at Mullins, he was screaming like, "What the hell is that?" or something like that. Like he he genuinely was completely flabbergasted and was screaming at the refs, trying to get some sort of explanation, and clearly nothing was given. You know, so definitely you know just kind of a really really weird scenario. You know, just kind of you know all the way through. Cam, if 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 my memory serves me correct, I don't think any of them were particularly egregious. Too many men calls, like you know, it might have been a case of somebody was getting off and the other guy was getting on, and just the puck was in the general area of the bench. Like I didn't see any sort of stretches of play where we had six guys out there on the ice, you know, actively making a play with it. So I don't know, super weird, but yeah, I'm giving this the bad ratio award. Just just too many men all all the, all the way around. <laughs> yeah, it's a bad ratio when you got too many men. Um. I think this ref needs to be looked at and investigated because um, you got to, I believe it was the same refs um, for each of these games. It'd take me a minute to find out if that's the case, but um, if it is, uh, like you said, these were not egregious uh, and there were four of them. We usually see two, maybe three of these called in an entire season of watching UMass hockey. There were four this weekend. Um, yeah, I think this refs need to be needs to yep. be looked at. He's he's yeah. really like trying to make that call in this series. And Cam, I, I don't want to cut you off here, but it it looks like we have two different ref groups. So this might be a more widespread mm. hockey East thing. I don't know what's going on here, but yeah, we have two different uh, referee groups. Not even a single guy is uh kind of you know in common between the two groups. So. I don't know. I didn't want to cut you off too early there, but I wanted to just make you aware of that before you said anything you might want to regret. Hey, yes, maybe maybe I take that back. Maybe just uh, maybe keep an eye out on Hockey East games going forward. This might be a an epidemic of too many men calls because I personally didn't think any of them deserved to get called that, but that's what we saw, bad ratio this weekend. Yeah, maybe you see one of those calls once a month. Mm-hmm. When we see four of them in a weekend, there's, there's something fishy at that play here for sure. Because it's not like the two teams are doing anything other than what they're normally used to doing exactly. in terms of changes. Exactly. I don't think like anybody was thinking going into this weekend, like, hey, maybe we could push the envelope on these yeah. guys. Maybe maybe they won't see. Like, that's such a weird thing to do. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to harp on this too much, but definitely a weird thing to notice. You know, if it was that egregious that we had to take note of it, and I'm pretty sure Carvey might have got – I think he had, he had a question about it in the presser, or he made some sort of comment about it because he – I'm pretty sure his exact word was unusual <laughs> towards the amount of too many men calls. So, I mean, we we agree wholeheartedly in that respect. But, yeah, certainly is very, very weird. It was. All right, is there anything about these two games that you wanted to touch upon before we move on here? No, I think we're good to go. I think we're ready to preview the Harvard game, uh, which will be a post-Thanksgiving game. I think it should be this Friday, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah, so real real fun one coming up. Black Friday, a 4 o'clock game at Harvard. Um, UMass has not played at Harvard in a bunch of years. We've uh, we've never been there before, and it's so close to where we both live, so that's how we know there hasn't been one in quite a while. Um, really fun matchup. Hope to see a lot of UMass fans out there in the Boston area. We'll certainly be there, so keep an eye mm-hmm. out for us. As for the Harvard hockey team, um, they're Ivy League, so their schedule is a little weird. They start a lot later than the rest of D1 does, so they only have five games under their belts. Um, they're 1-1-3, one, one which is a really odd record to have as well. Um, they, they played an exhibition game. They lost to Lowell. They uh, they tied Dartmouth, tied Princeton, and tied Colgate, um, all three unranked teams. They lost 6 nothing to number 8 Quinnipiac at the time, 
and they won three to two against number seven Cornell at the time. So really weird schedule to look at. I think Harvard was ranked 20th this week. Um, I might be wrong, but they were definitely ranked for a few you weeks. You are not played any games. So really funky schedule to look at here. I would say that they might be a bit overrated, but that one outcome against number seven Cornell is pretty good. Cornell's another Ivy League team that their season started late, so who knows with them too. Just not a lot to go off of here. Yeah, I mean, looking at their 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 schedule, right? Like they're playing against, you know, let's be honest, the ECAC probably isn't the best conference, you know, in terms of I would say at least overall like depth of parity, if that makes sense. Like they're not like hockey East where we have, you know, basically every single one of our teams within like, you know, the top 35 of pair wise, you know, they, they're playing the likes of, you know, Dartmouth and Princeton, which, you know, they're in Colgate in like union, like they're, they're going to be in the, in the bottom 30 schools. You know what I mean? They're going to be in the lower half of pair wise most of the time. The only thing that's kind of weird to me is like, they have a lot of ties, right? So like, you got to think if they get one more goal against Dartmouth, one more goal against Princeton, you know, one more bounce goes their way. Those are all wins right there. And we're probably looking at a team that's, you know, maybe three, one and one. Like, you never know. Like, hey, I, I mean, mean I, I could say that about UMass. If two bounces went our way, we could be 10, 10 and two and oh, right? And, that, and that's fair, right? But yeah. I feel like, but for us, we have a larger sample size. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we have more games played. We, we've we seen how our team is. You know, I feel like with a team that's our, that's only played three games, you know what I mean? Like, how much stock can we really put into it? And that's not to say that I think that this team is like nasty. Like, they got absolutely humbled six nothing by Quinnipiac. I feel like we are a team that is relatively on the same wavelength as Quinnipiac. Like, you know, I feel like we're both really, really strong teams right now. Mm -hmm. But in that same vein, they went up against Cornell and they beat them 3-2. So, you know, just like Hockey East, it seems like anybody can win. Maybe that's the case with the ECAC. I don't know. I mean, college hockey is a weird beast, man. You never know what's going to happen. But, you know, if you look at Cornell, you could also think, too, a broken clock is still right twice a day. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to they're gonna get theirs every now and then. You, know, you There's multiple ways you can you can look at their schedule and take it. I'm not putting a whole lot of stock into what they have right now. I mean, they're ranked 20th. I I think we we should expect to win on 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 Friday. You know that that's kind of my overall synopsis of of what I'm looking at here. I don't think Harvard has gotten off to a great start, and I don't think they'll continue to to kind of be that way. Bro, I just stumbled onto some very eye popping stats. Uh, what? For their season so far. What do we got? They've only scored 10 goals in five games. So that's two goals per game. Mm -hmm. They're four, four for 14 on the power play. So almost 30% clip on the power play. Yep. And they're less than 40% in faceoffs. 39%. What the hell? So. Yo. Okay. Obviously small sample size, but this. <laughs> With the record and those stats, we got this is a weird team we're facing on. Friday. I mean, I'll be I can't say anything about a 40% face-off percentage. We just gave out, you know, the good try UMass for that exact stat this weekend for us. But granted, they're doing it over the course of five games. For us, it was only over the course of two. And I think we have a lot more pedigree in that department where we have continued success. But yeah, I mean, if we're gonna start getting into the stats, right? Like I saw some numbers that were quite interesting to me as well. Um, if we're gonna kind of I don't know if we want to get into that right now or all right, so I mean, I'm looking right off the bat. The first thing that I always check out when I when I look at a team, I always do this on elite prospects. I'm looking at their goalies. You know, I feel like that's always, you know, 
You get a rough idea of the goals against average, the save percentage, all that fun stuff. They're rocking with two different goalies. You know, they, they so they basically are splitting it. You know, granted, they've only played they played an odd amount of games, so they're not going to have a perfect 50-50 split, but they split it across the two guys. So they got Derek Malahi, who has a 2.92 goals against average and a 906 save percentage. That that's okay, I guess. You know what I mean? Like that's that's about roughly uh, you know, a college goalie. But then they have I'm gonna butcher this guy's name, it's Finnish. Aku Koskenvuo or something like that. They, he, you know, 277 goals against average, 919 save percentage. But the thing that pops out to me is the amount of shots that they face. So Finnish goalie Aku, who I just mentioned, he's only played two games so far. Both of them were ties, and he faced he had 34 saves on average across both of those games. He's made 68 saves so far this season. That's a lot of shots against, you know what I mean? Like, that's absolutely nuts. And then Derek Malahi, he has 87 saves on the season, which I think equals out to 29 shot or saves per game. So you got to figure they're probably averaging at least 30 shots against per game, which means that their defense is very leaky. You know, like, that's a massive thing to me right off the bat. They're and, averaging 34 shots against per game. Yeah, I mean, that right there is absolutely nuts. You know, you look at their plus minuses as a whole on the team. You know, they have 21 players or skaters that have played so far. I see three players on the team that aren't negative, and two of them are a zero. <laughs> you know, they're they're a net neutral. They have one guy who's a plus one, Michael Callow. He has one assist in five games. Their team... It's just not getting it done defensively, and they clearly do not have the offensive numbers to back up their lack of defense. They don't look more, good on paper. Yeah, I have some more interesting stats here as well. Um, in three of their five games, they've committed five penalties. In one of the games, they committed zero, and one of them, they committed three. So interesting numbers there. And in their five games, they haven't gotten more than 27 shots. 27 is their high on the season for shots. So I, UMass, UMass needs to win this game on Friday. I think they definitely yeah. have a good chance. Um, not a good offense so far early, uh, small sample size, but a lot of these numbers are pretty glaring for them. These first get five games and they got shut out in their exhibition game. So, yeah. And that was against a hockey East opponent. That was, yeah. Lowell, you know what I mean? So I feel like, you know, I, I think we are a better team than Lowell biases aside. I do think we're genuinely the better team. We got to get the job done on Friday. You know, I, I genuinely, I mean, I don't like to throw the word around, you know, willy nilly, but a loss here, I would say is inexcusable. You know, I mean, regardless of their rank, I think of this game very similarly to the Minnesota State Series. I was very vocal before the Minnesota State Series. I said, hey, they're ranked, you know, 19th right now. I think they're a bunch of frauds. That's kind of where I'm at with Harvard right now. Like they lost a metric crap ton of talent over the summer. You know, whether it's guys leaving for the NHL or just graduating or whatever, they lost a metric crap ton of talent. They clearly, you know, so far have not replaced it with, you know, anything tangible that we can see immediate success with. We we got to take care of business. You know, I was very vocal that we had to take care of business in Minnesota State, and we did. I'm hoping for more of the same this weekend against Harvard. Yeah, and we hope to see a lot of you guys there. Nice boston game good to get a bunch of umass fans out there as always so always the best should be a fun one a nice holiday friday uh earlier game four o'clock I, I think we're gonna have a good time at this one. Oh, 100 percent. yeah i mean again i think we mentioned it before but you know last year there was a basketball game against harvard we packed their gym awesome game we ended up winning it i'm pretty sure 
electric atmosphere. You know what I mean? It was a really, really fun time. There's a ton of UMass alumni in Boston. If, you know, I'm going to do the whole spiel that I usually do. If you don't want to take the two-hour drive to Mullins, I get it. Sometimes I don't want to either, but you got to get it done. You know what I mean? That's how much of a fan that I am. I get it done anyway. Two-hour drives suck. Most of you guys that listen to this are probably in and around the Boston area, just statistically. The population density is higher, whatever. Make the trip out there. Use the MBTA. I don't care how you get there. It's going to be quicker than getting to Mullins. There's not an excuse. You know what I mean? We got to treat this as we always do. Every game in Boston or Newton, if you want to go to BC games, you got to treat it like Mullins East. You know what I mean? That's that's the way we got to take care of business. We got to turn it into our own, you know, into our own arena. Get the boys buzzing. They feed off the energy as always. I mean, I've never been to the Harvard arena before. I don't know how rowdy it gets. I don't know how good, you know, Harvard hockey support is. But at this point, I don't really care. Because as long as we show up, we're going to be able to do what we got to do. So get, you know, get those butts in the seats out there. Get it rowdy. Go UMass. I'm ready for this weekend. It's going to be fun, especially after Thanksgiving. You know, you you get in your nice little post-turkey nap. You're feeling good. You sleep like a baby that night off of a nice full Thanksgiving belly. And then you're good to go, you know, on Friday. It's going to be a really, really good time. You say goodbye to the in-laws and you say, hey, it's UMass hockey time. Chop, chop. Let's get over there. So should be a fun time. It should be. And it's a, it's a pretty cool looking barn too. Old place, it looks like. So I'm excited to check it out on Friday. New arena review would have to be incoming as well. That should yes. be a fun one. Haven't done one of those in a little bit. Yeah, haven't, haven't done one this year. So that'll be exciting. Um, should be an electric time. Absolutely. For sure. All right, let's move on. Uh, last segment we have is our little Hockey East out-of-town scores. Yep. Um, we'll, we'll talk about those for a little bit and then get out of here. So some a weird Hockey East schedule this week started on Wednesday. Um, on Wednesday, Merrimack and Lowell played in North Andover, and they tied. Merrimack actually took the win in the shootout. On Thursday, obviously, the UMass-Providence game in Providence. On Friday night, New Hampshire beat Northeastern in Boston 4-2. to two. BU beat Maine 3-2 to two in Boston. That was a really good game. And BC beat UConn in overtime 5-4. to four. So um, kind of a scary result for BC there being so highly ranked, but they're able to get the job done. On Saturday, obviously UMass beat Providence again in overtime. BU beat Maine again 5-4. to four. Uh, Lowell beat Merrimack in overtime 3-2. to two. That one was in Lowell. New Hampshire beat Northeastern in New Hampshire four to nothing to complete the sweep of them there. BC beat UConn at the their newer small arena there in stores three nothing. And then at a conference, AIC beat Vermont two to one. So um, AIC's been hot. Obviously, we don't talk about them as much being not in Hockey East, but good result from them against a solid Vermont team. Anything anything that catches your eye from this series? Kind of a weird mixed match of games and, and dates here. The thing that I mainly locked into, because I had to listen to about 10 scores back to back, it was a little tough to remember everything, yeah. and then my notepad out. But uh, I think, now correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like with the exception of the UNH series, it seemed like basically every game was a one-goal game. There were a lot of one-goal games. Yeah. yeah. Every, every single one outside of the UNH um Except for the one BC UConn game, okay, and the, and the two Northeastern New Hampshire games, every other game was one goal. Yeah, so essentially, basically everything barring the UNA. All right, I'll take yep. I'll take the pat on the back for that. I was pretty damn close, so that was yep. cool. But yeah, man, that's just more reinforcement. You know, Hockey East is a scary conference right now. You know, like you'll always hear like you know I don't know if there's any big soccer fans that listen to this, but like 
if you look into like, you know, just like European tournaments and stuff like that, that have like a group stage or any sort of tournament, there's always that one group that has like all like really, really good teams in it. And they call it like the group of death. I feel like that's what hockey East is. You know, we're just one giant group of death with like all of these really, really good teams in it that really are just kind of feeding off of each other's energy because we've done very, very well in non-conference play. I feel like as a whole, you know, just in all of hockey East for the most part, most of our teams are very highly ranked right now in both pairwise and just overall the national rankings. They all have really good records. And it's kind of just one of those cases of like, you know, you have a bunch of piranhas basically just like inside of like a, like a pond. And I think we're starting to get to the point where there's not much food left in the pond and we're going to start cannibalizing each other. Like, I know that sounds like an insane thing to say, but like genuinely, I mean, there's nobody else that we're allowed to play against for the most part, at least I think until winter break, I think that's when kind of like the in season tournaments start and, you know, you start to get a, a couple more non-conference games into the fold, but you know, for the next month or so, I mean, it's basically just us against, you know, the rest of hockey East. And as we could see, it's every team for themselves at this point, you know, there's most games. Now you're not going into a game where, you know, it's an immediate, you know, just, yeah, we're going to win this. No problem. 99 times out of a hundred. Like, there's no more like lads. It's UNH like that, that, mm -hmm. that joke that I made last season has been completely flipped on its head, man. They must've been listening and they were like, we're going to prove that dumb idiot wrong. And they were pointing to me the whole time, but I'll take it. I'll be, you know, I'll be the guy that takes the brunt of that. You know, it is what it is, but yeah, man, hockey East has been absolutely insane. And those scores are definitely just a reflection of that. Yeah. It's, it's really looks like a, Tale of two halves of the conference, BU, Providence, BC, New Hampshire, UMass, Maine. If the season were to end today, all six of those teams would be tournament teams, Ooh. which is absolutely insane. There's only 16 spots and six of them will be Hockey East. Um, the second half, UConn, Merrimack, Vermont, Lowell, and Northeastern uh, not playing as well. So obviously yeah. uh, they're still getting their points here and there. Northeastern's the only one that's undefeated. Uh, Vermont has wins that in ties that you wouldn't expect. Um, UConn is down, Lowell is down, Merrimack's kind of down from where they we expected them to be, but a lot of parity in this conference. Like you said, there's there's not an easy win to be found in all 11 teams, so it's definitely good for the conference as a whole. Get that strength of schedule up, get that pairwise up, which is which is a great thing to see. Yeah, I think the only thing I can think of off the top of my head, I think uh, I think Northeastern is the one easy team. <laughs> like they're basically <laughs> winless right now. You know what I mean? Like every yeah. other team, like Lowell has a couple wins under their belt. Obviously, Vermont does against us. Like, you know, we're we're sitting pretty at uh, at fifth right now. I don't know if you were going to do like a whole like standings rundown. I don't know if we're like still too early in the season for that. I think matter. I think we're a little early still. Yeah, but I mean, just kind of you know looking at things from a broad perspective. I mean, yeah, Northeastern doesn't have a win, and there's yeah. not even anything in the tie category. You know what I mean? Like, I think they have two OT losses that gives them two points on the season, yeah. but their goals for they have eight goals for and twenty five goals against. Like. They by far have the least amount of goals for in conference play, and they are tied for worst with UConn for goals against with 25. Like, I don't want to turn this into the, you know, we always say the classic cliche, maybe we don't say it, but I certainly say it. There's there's a spray to be caught by some team in basically every high character episode. Northeastern's in our sights with the with the stray bullet on this one. Mm -hmm. Like Northeastern cannot catch a break either from us or just in their season basically so far. They just have not been getting it done, especially when I think people had them ranked pretty freaking high in their uh, in their preseason polls. So for them to be this bad is nuts. I mean, I was expecting a regression after, you know, the loss of Devin Levi, but this is 
on a whole new level right here. This is nuts. It really is. Another one last thing that I noticed was looking at these hockey East standings. Before we played Providence, they had six conference games played, seven goals allowed in six games. We got five goals against Providence. So bump that Damn. number up to 12 and eight games played. Pretty impressive result right there. I, I didn't know that they were their defense was that good in conference so far. That is pretty freaking nuts, I'll be honest. And I mean, the the kind of the, the craziest thing that I'm looking at here is with how much we've been praising the team and kind of how well we've been doing, we're actually minus one in conference play just in our overall goals for versus goals against. Like we've actually like, you know, usually it seems like, you know, like when we lose, we'll lose by a couple goals. But if we win, they're pretty damn close games. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's kind of what we've been talking about over the course of these past couple episodes and just, you know, very, very close wins. And, you know, realistically goals for and goals against doesn't really matter as long as you're getting the points that's all that really matters and we've been getting some points so far so i'm hoping that that trend continues but yeah i mean it still seems like kind of the 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 conference title is is wide open right now i mean basically every team besides northeastern is still in it for sure yeah really really is it's it's kind of cool to see uh, i haven't seen that in quite a while as a, a hockey east fan Definitely. So uh, that is all we have for this episode. I just wanted to briefly mention before we sign off here, um, it's been a long episode, so it's hard to remember exactly everything we said. Um, if we if we came off as being dissatisfied in this series at all, I don't think that is no, 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 no. whatsoever. Getting five points against uh, the number five team in the country is absolutely huge. Um, obviously, we, we watch every game. We see things that can – can be better and stuff like that, but what a what a fantastic outcome yeah. for the boys! Fantastic effort to get wins in these games. Uh, really proud, especially after the year that we've had last year, that uh, they really can come through in the clutch and and get get games one that they shouldn't have. Um, really gritty efforts, high character efforts, like we mm -hmm. like to say. I just wanted to make sure uh, we weren't coming off as being unsatisfied with this weekend because we were absolutely thrilled. Oh yeah, no, we should make that abundantly clear. Like. We those were two good wins, you know what I mean, against a very tough opponent. Like, I think the only like the only reason why I kind of say the things that I say personally are just because I feel like there's always something to improve on. You know what I mean? Like, we I don't think we've ever had a win that's been absolutely perfect where we've never made a mistake. I feel like if you want to win a national championship again, we've already I, I disagree. I disagree. The national championship game against St. Cloud. Well, I, I meant this season, but oh, okay. You okay. are you are correct. That is that is fair. <laughs> like I I just meant the season personally. Yep. Like, but no, I mean, yeah. Obviously, when you win five nothing, you know that that is <laughs> basically the perfect game. But ah, I miss those days. Anyway, we're gonna get some more of those soon. I feel like if we keep playing yes. the way that we're playing, um, but yeah, the the main point that I, that I'm basically trying to get across is, you know, if you want to win a national championship, you got to strive for perfection. I, I don't think that Carvey was, you know, insanely happy and, you know, thrilled with those wins. You know, he even said such in his press conferences. You know, he said in that second game, team didn't play well. You know, simple as that. The team did not play up to expectations, but they found a way to win. You know, it's great that you find a way to win, but you got to always strive to be better. And I feel like that's kind of my mindset when I'm talking about the team here is, you know, yeah, you get the wins, and that's perfectly cool. And I'm me and you, like we're like we're saying right now, absolutely ecstatic. You know, we were cheering the team on like you wouldn't believe in the stands across both of those games. We were loving life. But when we're looking at things and we're stepping back from all that excitement and we're looking at things objectively, there's things that the team can do better. 
And that's what we're here to talk about. We're not going to sit here and be like, oh, everything's perfect and, you know, flowers are blooming and everybody's happy. Like, you know, there's going to be things that need to be improved upon at the end of the day. This team is going to be striving for perfection. And I hope that they look back at those games and say, hey, here's what we can do better. Because if they're not doing that, that means that they're being complacent. And complacency is not going to win you a championship. Improvement and striving for greatness is what's going to win you a championship. So, I mean, I, I just hope that nobody thinks that we're coming off as harsh. I think we're coming at it from a, you know, objective and kind of clear mind, you know, just kind of looking forward. And, you know, we don't want to try and sugarcoat things and just think that problems don't exist and that this team's perfect when it's not. They're doing very well. And I feel like they're overperforming, you know, preseason expectations by a metric crap ton. But you can always do better. We're not mm-hmm. ranked number one right now. We're not undefeated. That's what we got to go for. Yeah. And there's uh there's some room to for improvement too uh with the next four games before the winter break. We got one against Harvard, one against Vermont, and two against Alaska. So um we were talking about it a little bit before. You uh bare minimum need three wins out of those four if you want to call yeah. yourselves a championship caliber team. Really, you want to get all four of those. If they do, they would have a, a pretty nice looking record right now. I believe right now they're eight, three, and one, you win four of those, you're 12, three, and one, and you're flying high going into the winter break. So um, big opportunity coming up for UMass and just got to hope they can take advantage. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's going to be absolutely huge. I mean, I'm expecting realistically three wins just Mm -hmm. because it seems like, you know, like I don't want to call any of our losses so far this season, freak losses. Maybe the Vermont one was a bit of an under underwhelming performance by us, but again, Vermont pretty damn solid team so far this season. So I can't really knock it, you know, but I just feel like college hockey's, you know, it's just a weird sport, man. You know what I mean? Like anybody can win on any given night. And we've seen that across basically every single conference. Like number one, Wisconsin got swept this weekend by by Michigan State. Like it doesn't matter who you are. Somebody is going to be there to try and take that crown away from you every single night. So I don't, you know, I don't know what game it could possibly happen, but I wouldn't be completely shocked if, you know, we drop one of the, one of the next four games. I sure as hell hope we don't. I feel like if, you know, games are played on paper, we definitely shouldn't because I feel like we are by far the better of all, you know, all three of those teams are going to face across the next four games. You know, I think we are the better team, you know, just overall, but anything can happen at the end of the day. So I'm not going to go here and just put the immediate stamp of, you know, we're getting four wins across these next four games because I can't say that with any sort of certainty, but I'm feeling really, really good going to these next four, especially if, you know, we play to our, to our highest standard that I know that we can. Exactly. Yeah, you gotta gotta hope hope for the best there. Um, that is everything we got. We're we're all done yapping. We hope you guys enjoyed listening to us, and uh, hope to see all of you guys on Black Friday at Harvard. Should be an absolutely phenomenal time. So, uh, in the meantime, team is looking great this season. We're having a lot of fun with it. Hope you guys are too. Go UMass. Go UMass. Take care, everybody. Have a really really good Thanksgiving. And try not to steal anything on Black Friday because that'd be really unfortunate if somebody wasn't able to go to the game on Friday because of that. Top 10 coming soon. Let's go.